Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with some samples. You guys, allergies suck and it really sucks when my nose is all stuffed up. I can't do anything. I can't even enjoy dinner because I can't taste my food. I can't work out because I feel so tired and I'm out of it and just forget getting ahead on recording the show because I sound so stuffy. But luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. I've honestly been using Claritin D for my allergies forever and it's always been my go-to. I know when spring hits, I won't have to worry about my eyes watering like crazy and my nose running like a faucet. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's journey. Step into the role of June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. You guys need to check out June's journey. Engage your observation skills to quickly uncover key pieces of information that lead to chapters of mystery, danger, and romance. Where will each new chapter take you? Discover hidden clues and solve a riveting murder mystery. Engage with the brain-teasing enigmas of the roaring 20s and delve into June's quest to reveal a scandalous family secret. You guys, I love getting lost in this world. It's so beautiful and engaging, and I can't wait to unwind at the end of the day on the couch with this game and a cup of tea. So can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Hey everybody, welcome back to our podcast. This is Murder With My Husband. I'm Peyton Moreland. And I'm Garrett Moreland. And he's the husband. And I'm the husband. Okay, let's get over right into Garrett's 10 seconds today. Peyton and I have been watching The Last of Us. Um, We watched it. It's pretty good. It took us, I would say, a couple episodes to get into it just to kind of, I don't know, get used to all the characters Mm -hmm. and actresses and actors and all that. But it's been great. And then Daisy... Miss Daisy, who is currently sitting on my lap, decided to pee the bed the other night. Um, well, she peed on top of our comforter. Huh, didn't you? Just kind of for no reason, so we had to wash everything. So that was fun. She hasn't done it since, but... And that was the first time. And that was the first time, but... We're I, just learning. She's still learning. She's still getting there. But, you know, we still love her. You just outed her, like, right here. Oh, Yeah. Do it again. I'm going to out you again. Do it. I dare you. It's also currently dumping snow in Utah. So if you have any plans to come to Utah, be careful. I mean, I guess if you're skiing or snowboarding, then it's a good time to come. If you could fly in and get up. Just a reminder, all our episodes are ad-free on Apple subscriptions or Patreon. And we also have bonus content. So if you want to watch or listen to extra episodes or listen to all the episodes ad-free, you can go subscribe on there. And let's hop into this week's episode. Our episode sources are chillingcrimes.com, 48 hours on ID, CBS News, abcnews.go, and newspapers.com. Okay, I know I say it all the time, but forensic genealogy has changed things so dramatically in the last four years. Not that today's case has any connection to forensic genealogy or genetic genealogy, as some call it. But this is the kind of case that if it hadn't been solved the way it was solved, it definitely would have remained unsolved until 
forensic genealogy. Does that even make sense? It makes sense. Because now any case where they have the offender's DNA is solvable. Investigators no longer have to wait for the suspect to come to their attention and for the DNA to match because it's the DNA that can now lead authorities directly to the suspect. You know, I was thinking the other day, I wonder if at any point we as like the common people will mm -hmm. be able to test in quotations DNA. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like at some point. Like collect someone's saliva and exactly, do it Exactly. At some point, is there going to be some website or something where it allows us to look at someone's DNA? Right. I mean, I I guess you can send yours in. I assume it's kind of like an invasion of privacy. Yeah, Obviously, probably. I'm sure there's tons of rules around it, but. But you could collect someone's fingerprint. Yeah. But I guess you couldn't run it. But you couldn't run it. For example, I mean, we used to not be able to like look up license plates or phone numbers. But now, I mean, you can look up someone's license plate and phone yeah. number and figure out every bit of information about them. Right. So I'm curious if at some point it becomes like public, not knowledge. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, it's a good thought. But in today's case, it was a chance conversation between two strangers nearly 30 years after the murder that finally put the killer on the radar of the investigation, an investigation that had been cold for decades. So we're going to jump into it. We're just 20 miles away from the Canadian border in Washington state in we are in a tiny little rural village called Acme. Now, Acme is one of those communities where everyone knows everyone else, literally. Everyone goes to the same general store, the same post office, the same gas station, and the same schools. Because there's pretty much only one of each. With a population of only 200 people, there are no strangers in Acme. It's a place where everyone feels safe and sees no reason to keep their doors locked at night. I mean, 200 people is not that many people. In 1983, a new family moved into town from Alaska. Mary Stavick, a divorced mother of three, moved to Acme with her son, Lee, and two daughters, Molly and Mandy. And life for the Stavicks in recent years had seen its share of hardships. Mary's marriage to Glenn Stavick failed, and they ended up getting divorced in 1974. And then the following year, Mary's 17-year-old son, Brent, was killed after being shot in the head and chest by an unidentified assailant. Hmm. The circumstances of his murder were unknown, and no witnesses ever came forward. It was a murder that went unsolved. But once moving to Acme, Mary and her three children began trying to build a new life. And they settled comfortably in this friendly small town community where Mandy attended Mount Baker High School and excelled not only academically, but athletically. She played on the softball team. She was a cheerleader and she ran track. She loved the outdoors. She was an avid runner and liked to take regular runs down the street on which she lived. You know, I wish I liked to run. I really I do. Yeah, I can't comment on it because I don't really like to run either. I I like see those people who are like, oh, this just lets me escape and no. I can just get lost in it. I wish. Not me. So one of Mandy's closest relationships in high school was with her basketball coach, Jim Freeman, who just adored her, as did most of people who knew her. By the time Mandy graduated from Mount Baker in 1989, she had blossomed into a promising young woman. She had a boyfriend, Rick Zender, and a lot of friends in the community. And in the fall of 1989, she began attending Central Washington University. When campus that year closed for Thanksgiving, Mandy returned to Acme, the small town, to spend the holiday with her family. The Thanksgiving spread that year was especially plentiful, leaving everyone in the household feeling stuffed. The following afternoon, Mandy wanted to burn off some of those turkey day calories, so she left the house for a long run down her customary route, the usual one she'd taken before she moved away to college. 
This was down Strand Road, the street she lived on, to the Nunsack River and then back home. Usually, Mary, her mother, would join her daughter on her runs, but on this day, Mary was still feeling a bit weighed down by all of the food, so Mandy instead took the family dog, a German shepherd named Kyra. It was around 2.30 when Mandy and Kyra left for that run. By 4 o'clock, Mandy's mom had already expected her back home and was wondering where she was, why she might have been delayed. But then she heard something at the front door and felt a sense of relief. That is until she opened the door and saw Kyra, the German shepherd, on the family's doorstep alone. The dog had returned without Mandy. So that's when Mary Stavik knew something was wrong. She picked up the phone and began calling friends of Mandy's and friends of Rick's, her daughter's boyfriend, but no one had any idea where she was. Mandy's brother, Lee, had been at a friend's house that afternoon and had actually seen Mandy jog past the house, apparently on her way back home. I think it's crazy that the dog returned home alone. Just knew the way. Yep. Um, But obviously, after her brother saw her jogging home, she never made it. By early evening, practically the whole entire town was out looking for Mandy. Volunteer searchers spent the whole weekend combing the area around the clock in shifts, So the search was just continuous from Friday night onward. And then on Monday, three days after Mandy went missing, searchers in a boat on the Noonsack River spotted something pink floating in the water up in the distance. Oh, man. And as they get closer, they could see that the pink was Mandy Stavik's pink running shoes, which was the only thing, along with socks, that she was wearing when they found her body. Jeez Louise, okay. So the medical examiner determined that Mandy had been sexually assaulted. Mm. She was knocked unconscious and then drowned. It seemed like what happened was Mandy had been running and was close to her home, close to returning home, when someone in a vehicle abducted her. Police believed the abductor probably kicked her dog, Kyra, into a nearby ditch and forced Mandy into his vehicle at gunpoint, where he then drove her four or five miles from the abduction site to the place where her body was later found. You know, not to interrupt again, but why can't we just live in a world where women can just run alone without fear of getting abducted or killed? Why can't we? Like, that's just insane. Yeah. Her body had scratches and abrasions all over it on her arms and legs, and this led investigators to conclude that Mandy had tried to escape after she was assaulted and took cover in some nearby blackberry bushes, which are covered in thorns, before her attacker caught up with her and beat her over the head, knocking her out and then putting her into the water where she drowned. Police were pretty confident that whoever abducted her had approached her from a vehicle because Mandy was very athletic and she was known for being a fast runner. So she would have probably been able to outrun a would-be abductor on foot. And remember, her brother Lee had seen her jogging towards home before she vanished. And then there was a delivery man named David Cracker who had seen Mandy run past his van while he was making a delivery at a house on Strand Road. That's the road she lives on. Cracker said that he had also observed another vehicle following closely behind her. He described that vehicle as a truck with two people inside who appeared to be in their 30s. There was another man who had been observed in the area around the same time Mandy was last seen driving a station wagon. So they're kind of just asking around, seeing... What kind of cars were in the area around this time? Because of all of this, a composite sketch was put out, which later led to David Succi, a local drifter who claimed he had nothing to do with Mandy's murder. Now, at the time in 1989, DNA profiling was still very raw. 
the first murder case in which the perpetrator was identified using DNA was a case that we have covered on our podcast, the murders of Don Ashworth and Linda Mann in England. Their killer was caught using DNA profiling in 1987, so only two years earlier. So to put that into perspective, the Golden State killer was caught with forensic genealogy in April of 2018, nearly five years ago. So in 1989, DNA profiling was newer in criminal investigations than forensic genealogy is now. And Acme was a very small town, so they had to go to the county sheriff's department to lead the investigation. Despite all of that, they were ahead of the curve, and they did manage to develop a DNA profile from semen that was found inside Mandy's body. So they collected it and developed it. But it didn't match anyone in their local database. And it didn't match the drifter, David Suchi. So he was ruled out. Authorities then took a cue from the Ashworth man case and decided to do a DNA dragnet. And if you remember from that episode, police in the villages where the murders took place in England took blood from all of the local men whose blood type matched the killer they were seeking. And that's how they were able to weed him out. So in the Mandy Stavik murder, they took saliva swabs from about three dozen men in the community and ran their DNA profiles to compare Mandy's killer. But none of them matched. And in a town this small, this isn't really a bad strategy. Yeah. Because there's only 200 people. I forgot that we were in a small town. Right. So police then turned their attention to Rick Zender. Of course, Mandy's boyfriend. I feel like you could just get DNA from all 200 of them. Right. Like just subpoena everyone. Like everyone line up. Let's go. But then there's the chance that it's not a local. True. So they then turned to the boyfriend whom she had been dating for about three years on and off. It was one of those relationships, you know, not without its issues, young love, kind of rocky, but Rick was cooperative and he had an alibi that they verified and he gave investigators everything else they requested. So they were able to eliminate him too. Needless to say, Mandy Stavik's murder rocked the town of Acme. It actually made national headlines and even newspapers in Japan in the hometown of Mandy's college roommate, who was a Japanese exchange student. So needless to say, this is a pretty big story for the size of town it comes from. And everybody in the town was talking about it. Suddenly, that long-standing sense of safety was gone. People were locking their doors, keeping them locked during the day even. Children and teens were not allowed to venture out alone. Parents who lived along Strand Road initiated a crime watch system where they coached their kids on how to defend themselves and how to stay safe. People in the community believed that whoever was responsible for Mandy's murder could very well do it again. Which would be scary in a small town like that of mm-hmm. just a couple hundred people because because was the whole time you're thinking, yeah, was it one of us? Was it the guy that worked at the grocery store? Was it right? my next door neighbor? Like, yeah. who was it? It's like, well, who could have done it? Yeah. The general store in town was stocking up on mace and so were shopkeepers throughout the county. Acme's resident martial arts expert began offering a class called self-defense for gentle people. In fact, the registration meeting was held in the cafeteria of Mount Baker High, Mandy's old high school. Mandy was eventually cremated and her ashes were buried in a wooden box at the St. Joseph Mission Cemetery, half a mile from the home where she spent the last six years of her life, preparing for a future that never came because one man saw her life as being worth less than his momentary sexual gratification. And this is also heartbreaking because Mandy's mom, Mary, has now lost two kids to murder because her oldest son was also shot and his killer was never found. What? Yeah, remember? I said it at the very beginning. That was the reason they even moved to Acme. That's insane. 
The funeral was attended by two dozen close friends and members of Mandy's family. A neighbor whom Mandy considered her adopted grandpa covered the grave with plants. Her basketball coach, Jim Freeman, delivered the eulogy at her funeral, along with Reverend John Stewart, whose speech was punctuated by the cry of a lone stellar Jay. The Stavick family received an outpouring of support from not just the community, but from strangers. They got dozens of letters in the mail, most of them from people who didn't even know Mandy personally with envelopes literally addressed to Mandy's family. More than $20,000 in multiple monetary memorials for the Stavik family helped them with the funeral expenses and to ease the burden overall. Donations came from far and wide, many of them from out of state. In 1990, a scholarship was created in Mandy's name, and two students at Mount Baker High wrote and recorded a song called Mandy's Song and sold the song on cassette to raise money for the scholarship. The two students were Annie Sergei and Pete Stewart, the latter of which went on to become a Grammy-winning singer-songwriter. All right, you guys, Audible is your one-stop app for all things audio entertainment, from bestsellers and the latest releases to celebrity memoirs and gripping mysteries. Audible's library is brimming with countless genres to love and new discoveries to make. Dive into an unparalleled selection of audiobooks and explore exclusive Audible originals brought to life by top celebrities, renowned experts, and fresh voices. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog in including the latest bestsellers and new releases. Plus, you can enjoy unlimited access to a growing selection of audiobooks, Audible originals, and podcasts such as Murder With My Husband. Honestly, I love Audible because I will get into a story while I'm cleaning or driving. Sometimes I get so hooked listening to a story, I just end up finding new places to clean or just end up sitting in my car, which drives Garrett nuts, but I'm out there sitting there. New members can explore Audible free for 30 days. Also this March through May, the Audible sweep you into a realm of intrigue and suspense with their mystery and thriller collection, featuring exclusive new thrillers from their best-selling authors. Their selection is designed to captivate and surprise ensuring your heart rate remains as elevated as your imagination. New members can try Audible for free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash MWMH or text MWMH to 500-500. That's audible.com slash MWMH or text MWMH to 500-500. We're jumping into an ad right now. And I, no joke, I've had this question. I think about it all the time because I hate getting sick. Do you ever wonder why some people just don't get sick? One of the reasons you can help yourself from getting sick is Armra Colostrum. Okay, obviously I had no idea that colostrum is the first nutrition we receive in life and is an exclusive source of all the essential nutrients we need in order to thrive. So what's amazing is Armra colostrum is a proprietary concentrate of bovine colostrum that harnesses over 400 functional nutrients to strengthen your immune barriers, your body's inside suit of armor, and the first line of defense against harmful particles from the environment that can trigger inflammation and actually make you sick i'm not saying that it 100 works for everybody because obviously you never know but all i'm saying is i haven't been sick since i started taking it well and the science behind it is so cool armor colostrum strengthens all four layers of your gut wall where 80 percent of your immune cells are housed and it's a rich exclusive source of antibodies that optimize your immune defense during cold and flu season plus in clinical trials bovine colostrum was found to be at least three times more effective than the flu vaccine at preventing the flu we've worked out a special offer for our audience receive 15% off your first order. 
Go to tryarmra.com slash husband or enter husband to get 15% off your first order. Again, that's T-R-Y-A-R-M-R-A dot com slash husband. But throughout the 90s and into the 2000s, Mandy's case just got colder and colder till it seemed like it might not ever be solved. Mandy's mother, Mary, had pretty much given up hope and resigned herself to never knowing who took her daughter from her. But then in June of 2013, this is 24 years after Mandy's murder, a chance conversation took place between two strangers at a water park. Okay. And typically when I'm saying 24 years later, again, it's because of DNA. It's typically because there's been a break in the case or detectives have come forward. It is never because two strangers at a water park started discussing the case. A conversation that would break this case wide open. Heather Backstrom and Marilee Anderson were at the Birch Bay water slides with their young children that day, 2013. They were among a group of moms at the water park and they got to chatting about their lives and about their hometown, which was Acme. And then at some point in the conversation, one of the moms brought up that murder. Remember that girl, Mandy Stavick, that was murdered? Since it's a thing that anyone from Acme of a certain age would know about and remember well, one of the mothers was like, it's so crazy that they still don't know who did that to her. And as their kids played on the water slides, Heather and Marilee got to talking, just the two of them. Kind of like we do all the time with people in our lives. They got to talking about true crime. Both of them had gone to the same high school to Mount Baker. But like I said, they didn't know each other very well. So they were virtually strangers. But during their chat, the conversation turned back to Mandy Stavick and Heather just suddenly impulsively said, I think I know who did it. And this stopped Marilee in her tracks. What? Then she replied, I do too. And then they learned they both had the very same man in mind. Who? A man named Tim Bass. Okay. During their conversation, Marilee recalled to Heather how Tim Bass, who was a friend of her husband's, had stopped by her house one night completely unannounced. This was back in 1991, two years after Mandy's murder. Why? Okay, I know you're going to keep going, but why are they saying this now? Well, because it's just a hunch. Oh, I mean, okay. It's just in the town of 200 people. You know what I'm saying? I know, but these two girls get to talking and then they're like, remember that guy? Oh yeah, he was okay. weird. I think he did it. I did too. I mean, I, I don't think it's as, it's as unnatural as anyone who has been on TikTok saying who they think the Idaho killer was. Got it. Okay. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. So she was home alone with her infant son at the time when she heard a knock at her front door. She then opened it to find Tim standing there. He told her he'd just been out hunting and needed to use her cell phone to call his wife. So she let him inside. Remember, Tim is a friend of her husband's. And when he picked up the phone and dialed, she was close enough that she could hear the three-note operator tone that proceeds, this call cannot be completed as dialed. But Tim went ahead and pretended he was on the phone anyways. Mm. And so it gave Marilee the creeps. And when Tim was done with this fake phone call, he proceeded to walk through the kitchen and into her bedroom. That's when Tim revealed that he often drove by her house, the house that she shared with her husband and baby, and he needed to make a confession. He had always been in love with her. And now he said he wanted to make love with her. What? Just out of nowhere? Yes. 
Marilee suddenly realized in that moment that she was in the company of a predator. Her husband's friend was not actually a friend and mm. she was terrified. A weirdo. She told him absolutely not, but Tim wouldn't take no for an answer. He kept trying to get her into the bedroom with him and he refused to leave the house. That was until Marilee threatened to call the police. And at that point, fortunately, Tim got up and left. Heather, on the other hand, had her own story about Tim after hearing about this. And this one happened only a few months before Mandy's murder, when okay. Heather was 15 and Tim was 21. It was 1989. Heather had just left a softball game and she and a group of friends crammed into a truck to go to the Dairy Queen. Heather was in the front seat, sitting between the driver, Dan and Tim. During the drive, Tim Bass was relentlessly making advances toward the teenage girl, told her she had beautiful eyes, wouldn't stop talking about her eyes. Again, he's 21. Then he took a pen from out of the cup holder and began rubbing it along her knees. Oh my gosh. Heather sat there, sort of just frozen, not wanting to react one way or the other. There were other people in the car, including Dan, who incidentally would later become her husband. So she knew Tim wouldn't try to go any further than what he was doing. But even then, it still made her deeply uncomfortable. That's a new one, a pen on the knees. I'll try that. (laughs) Hopefully not to a young girl in the car when you're 21. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But this just situation rubbed rubbed her the wrong way, and it made her see Tim as a predatory sort of guy. For sure. So because of this, from that point forward, she would go out of her way to steer clear of Tim Bass. So both Heather and Marilee happened to both be from Acme and they happened to both be at this water park and then they happened to both start talking about Mary and then they happened to both talk about this guy that they had these weird encounters with. For years after these incidents, both of them had suspected that Tim Bass was the one who had raped and killed Mandy. And now they're together going, not you too. And so because of this, they both decide to go into authorities with their oh, suspicions. Nice. Okay, good. In looking into Tim Bass's 2013, they're like, let's just go to the cops. Come on. So police realized that he was never questioned about Mandy's murder, never investigated, and his DNA was never taken back then. His family was pretty well regarded in the community, so the attitude at the time was Tim Bass was above suspicion. Got it. Even though he lived on Strand Road, the same road Mandy lived on, and she would have jogged past his house that very day of her disappearance and many times previously. Mandy also knew of Tim, not well, but she had been friends with Tim's younger brother, Tom. And only a month and a half after Mandy Stavick was killed, Tim got married and moved to another town. So he kind of left town, which puts him out of sight in the investigation. So in 2013, after talking to Heather and Mary Lee and giving Tim Bass a closer look, investigators realized that they should track him down and talk to him. I mean, what does it hurt? These two girls come in. They're like, we had creepy encounters with him. He lived on our same road. He left town a month later. Why not? Why not? Yep. So they found him living in Everson, which is about 20 miles north, with his wife and three children working as a bakery delivery man. When they went to Tim's home to talk to him, they told him they were there to talk about Mandy. And hearing this, he then looked up toward the ceiling with a furrowed brow like he was straining to remember. He's like, Mandy. Oh, my God. Mandy. Hmm. I don't know a Mandy. Which was weird. Because anyone who lived in Acme at the time would instantly know who Mandy was. And he lived on the same road with her, especially also because his younger brother was friends with her. So the investigator was like, Mandy Stavik? And that's when he seemed to remember. Oh, yeah, I remember. I think she was killed or something, right? 
They told him, yeah, she was, and we're here to collect a DNA sample if you would just allow them to swab the inside of his mouth. Now, Tim Bass at this point becomes a little uncomfortable. He says, okay, I'm not really comfortable with that. I've seen too many crime shows, he told him. I know people give up their DNA and then it gets planted and they get sent to prison. So I just don't trust it. I mean, the part he was leaving out here was the people on those crime shows who go to prison after giving up their DNA typically do because they're guilty. It's <laughs> not because it's planted. But good response. Good response. If he's trying to avoid everything. Right. So if you're guilty, yeah, I can see why you might be afraid yep. to give up your DNA. So after his refusal, detectives then talked to Tim's wife, Gina. And Gina told them that on the day Mandy had been abducted, remember, they were engaged. Tim was with her the entire day. So she knew he couldn't have done it. But there was something in Gina's tone, a kind of uncertainty, maybe even fear. They just weren't buying her story and they weren't about to give up. Oh, I just, I will never understand this. Like, I think I know where this is going. Why, why is she lying for him? Right. Like, why does that happen? Well, I think that it's a defense mechanism. I think as a wife, I mean, if the police showed up on our doorstep and said, we think he killed someone in the past 24 years ago, I would immediately be like, no way. Correct, but you wouldn't say, oh, but Garrett was with me that entire night that yeah, night. Yeah, would I lie for you? Probably not. Yeah. So police, trying not to give up, they decide to do another round of DNA gathering like they had done back in 1990, and they uh -huh. collected DNA from another three dozen men. And they let Tim know that they were doing this and again asked if he would come forward and give a sample. Again, he refuses. They went to the bakery where Tim worked and talked to his manager, a woman named Kim Wagner, and they told her that they were investigating Tim in an unresolved matter. They didn't give her any details about why, and they wanted to look at his work history and delivery route. But the bakery would not permit them to do this. If they wanted access to these records, they would need to return with a subpoena. So police, hitting another dead end with Tim, begin surveilling him, following him around, waiting for him to discard something anything that might contain his DNA. They're going to go Golden State Killer before yep. before Golden State Killer happens. But it didn't pan out. It seemed that Tim was being very careful not to leave his DNA behind. So the case hit another dead end. So two more years would pass. They don't have enough evidence because it's just these two women's hunches. Wait, they can't get any DNA? I'm confused. No, they don't have enough evidence. They can't get a, a, they can't get a subpoena or a warrant for it. Oh, why? Why? There's not enough evidence. You can't just demand someone give you DNA. You have to have prop mm, probable cause. So. And yeah, their only cause yeah, yeah. really is that these two women came in and said, hey, he's kind of a creep. You should look into him. It's so hard because, look, I'm so, on social media and I get everyone's like, well, don't give you. I don't want to just give my DNA to anyone, blah, blah, blah. You know, all this stuff. And I'm like, I got a cell phone. I'm on Instagram. I'm on TikTok. Like, it's too late for that. My stuff's like, out. My stuff's out there. The government wants to know something about me. They already know something about me. Like, I have nothing to hide at this point. Like, I'm just going to give them my DNA. But you wouldn't if you were guilty. Correct. So that's what I'm saying. Like, so then why not just issue the warrant? Right. I like, get what like, you're if saying. If you're saying no to something and it's But your, we have rights. It, I mean. But do we? But do we? <laughs> do we really have rights? Is that what rights? you're saying? That's basically what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for shortening that story down for me a little bit. <laughs> no, I mean, I get what you're saying, but yeah. I also believe that like it's important that we yeah, follow yeah, the yeah. correct steps. Yeah, just break into his house and grab it and run right. away. Right. Okay, so two more years go by. 
Um, and then one day, Kim Wagner, remember this is Tim's manager at the bakery where he works. She learns that the reason police were investigating Tim and had even visited the bakery two years ago was because he was a suspect in the murder of Mandy Stavik. She remembered Mandy's murder well as she'd been working as a delivery driver down in Acme at the time that Mandy disappeared. She had never forgotten about this crime, kind of like everyone else. Suddenly, Kim had regrets about her refusal to cooperate with police back then. And also, she didn't really like him. She found him weird. He was moody and unpredictable with a short fuse, and he seemed to have a low opinion of women. In fact, he wouldn't even call her Mrs. Wagner or Kim. He addressed mm. her as woman. So if Tim really what? did have something to do with the region's most notorious unsolved murder, Kim decided she wanted to do her part in helping put him away. Two years after the fact. Yeah. She got back in touch with the police investigators and told them that she was willing to help. She wanted to get them something with Tim's DNA on it. So she began watching him closely, waiting for him to drink a beverage at work, discard a half-eaten muffin, whatever it may be. She would make sure the garbage pails remained empty, waiting for him to deposit whatever DNA-covered item into it with minimal possibility of contamination. But a month went by and nothing. Like literally, it's There's almost no like this way. guy There's was no consciously way. being really cautious. Yeah. Yet another month passed and Kim still couldn't come across any opportunity to collect Tim's DNA. Taking charge of my health is all about being super conscious of what I fuel my body with. Whether it's food or supplements, I'm constantly on the lookout for the top choices. And that's why I'm stoked to share with all of you Thorn. Thorn takes a personalized, innovative, and scientific approach to health and wellness with their supplements. They manufacture all their supplements in the U.S. using top-notch ingredients sourced globally. Plus, they team up with leading medical professionals to bring you highly effective nutritional supplements. Whether it's their B-complex, creatine, magnesium, or basic prenatal, Thorn's got all the supplements I need to help promote and maintain my health goals. You guys, I'm actually taking the B-complex vitamins every single morning, and I feel like it enhances my my energy and mood especially if we've been eating a little bit unhealthy with thorn we never have to question what's in each supplement because they go the extra mile when it comes to quality manufacturing and ingredients give your body what it really needs with thorn go to thorn.fit slash husband and use code husband for 10 percent off your first order that's t-h-o-r-n-e dot f-i-t slash husband code husband for 10 percent off your first order thorn dot fit slash husband code husband these statements have not been evaluated by the food and drug administration the product is not intended to diagnose treat cure or prevent any disease once you try bombas you'll never look at socks the same way again they've obsessed over details like foot hugging honeycomb arch support anti-blister tabs and cushion footbeds that feel like pillows for your feet let's not forget their super soft tees and tagless underwear bombas has a one purchased equals one donated mission Every time you buy their socks, tees, or underwear, you also donate essential clothing to someone facing homelessness. Today, Bombas has donated over 100 million clothing items and counting. Bombas also offers a 100% happiness guarantee. So whether your socks disappear in the dryer or they become a snack for your dog, they will actually do anything possible to replace it or make it right. They've also got this new Merino wool blend socks that naturally wick moisture and help regulate temperatures perfect for that rainy or unpredictable spring weather. You guys, I love Bombas. I literally wear them all the time. I love that every purchase means a donation to someone in need. And it's not just their socks either. I also love their tees and underwear 
underwear. They're so soft. They pay attention to details. I just really, really love Bombas. Get comfy this spring and give back with Bombas. Head over to bombas.com slash husband and use code husband for 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash husband and use code husband at checkout. And finally, after three whole months, Kim observed Tim take a plastic cup from the water cooler and use it to pour some Coca-Cola into from a can. After he finished, he discarded the plastic cup and the Coca-Cola can and then went to the men's room. That's when Kim quickly scrambled to retrieve these items from the garbage pail, bagged them, and turned them over to investigators who sent it off to a crime lab. And guess what? It matched. The results came back and it was a match to the DNA found inside of Mandy Stavik's dead body. Horrible. So detectives again approach Tim Bass and ask him if he'd ever had any kind of relationship with Mandy. And he said he hadn't, which this is great because now at trial, it'll be much harder for him to turn around and go, actually, actually, we were having an affair and I had sex with her that day and then somebody abducted her, which is why police even do this in the first Mm -hmm. place. They want to get him saying, no, I've never had a sexual relationship with her. They asked him if he'd ever even so much as kissed her and he denied it, said he didn't even know her. So they asked him, okay, well then how did your semen end up inside of her? The day she was murdered. And he said he had no idea what they were talking about. Tim Bass, who was now 50 years old, was then arrested and charged with Mandy's murder in 2017. That's crazy. And upon learning about his DNA matching the DNA from the semen taken from Mandy, that hazy memory of Mandy, when he seemingly had to think for a real long time before remembering her name, well, now he was claiming, oh, okay, actually, yes, I lied. And I did have a secret relationship with her. One that nobody knew about except him and Mandy. Investigators weren't buying it. Again, they had already caught him in the lie and the district attorney wasn't buying it either. But Tim Bass pled not guilty and that story became the backbone of his defense, like I just said. At trial, his attorneys challenged the DNA evidence and produced a forensic expert who claimed that the semen could have been inside Mandy for up to three days leading up to her murder. They argued that Tim and Mandy had had consensual sex the night before her murder. But a forensics expert for the prosecution disagreed, stating that it was likely have been deposited around the time of her death. Though Tim Bass was now balding, overweight, and middle-aged, his defense showed the jury pictures of him as a younger man, as though to suggest, see, he was good-looking back then. Mandy would have loved to have a relationship with him. But even Tim's own wife and brother turned against him. Good. His wife, Gina, admitted on the stand that Tim had demanded that she lie for him, telling her if she didn't, he would go to prison. Additionally, Tim had asked his mother if he could tell police that his father, who had died many years before, was Mandy's real killer, but his mother refused to condone this. Gina also testified that her marriage to Tim was a nightmare, that he was abusive and controlling. He dictated to her the clothes she could wear, where she was allowed to go, who she was allowed to see. She said she only stayed married to him for the sake of their kids. She's basically abused. Yeah. And then as well, I can't believe he asked his own mom, tell them that my dad killed her. That's insane. His brother, Tom, also testified against him that Tim had asked him to lie and back up his story that he'd had a sexual relationship with Mandy on the down low, but Tom refused to lie for his brother about his high school friend. Tom recalled now when Tim was still in high school, he went off the deep end after a relationship with a girlfriend ended. He recalled the phone conversation and how Tim told his girlfriend he had a pistol and he was going to kill himself. During the call, he fired the pistol into the air. And from that point forward, his brother Tom said Tim just kind of openly hated women. 
The jury took a day to deliberate because the defense had nearly succeeded in creating reasonable doubt by planting the seeds that Mandy and Tom did or could have had a consensual relationship. That's so sad, too, for right. like Mandy's family and Mandy's yes. side. Yes, yes. To just lo- completely lie about that because right. that's not what happened. It's right. It's obviously not what happened, and they're just lying about it. And But it's a tactic we see coming from a mile away. Gosh, it's hard, too, because I guess there's so much that we could get into it about it that that's allowed. I mean, because, right. I mean, obviously he told his attorneys, no, we had a relationship, you know? Yeah. And so they're thinking, okay, well, if that's what he's saying is true, then we're going to run with it. But it's There's just a, a chance he didn't lie. even say that. There's a chance uh, his attorneys I, came to him and said, so I, you had a relationship with her. And I didn't want to say that because. Right. Because right. <sighs> we don't want to think attorneys do that. But that that, that is what they do. It's their job, I guess. It's just, yeah. it's horrible. That, the whole part I'm just I'm not sucks. saying they do that. <laughs> or that they did that. I'm it, just saying yeah. that their job is to get their client off. It just makes it worse for her family. It, just it does. It's it's re-traumatizing. It's re-victimizing. Yeah. And it's awful. Yep. But looking at the totality of the evidence, the reasonable doubt disappeared and the jury returned a verdict of guilty. That was on May 24th, 2019, nearly 30 years Jeez. after Mandy's murder. And the sentence Tim received was less than that. He received 27 years in prison, which was because it couldn't be proven that the murder was premeditated. And that condition was required in order to secure a life sentence. I guess that's just kind of how things work in the state of Washington. But Tim Bass continued to deny responsibility. And instead of keeping his mouth shut during the penalty phase, he gave a statement. I would first like to say that I am 100% innocent of this crime. Furthermore, I don't believe I received a fair trial. In saying that, though, the better man in me says I should say very little today. I give this day to the Stavik family. How generous of him to give a day to them. Such a good guy. Tim Bass is currently serving his sentence, and he'll be eligible for parole in 2036 when he's 69 years old. But we can't end it without pointing out that he he probably could have eventually been caught if he somehow got his DNA taken and then they ran it through the system, mm-hmm. right? Or even forensic genealogy. Yeah. But the fact that two women were gossiping at a water park and decided to take their suspicions to police, which then gave police a suspect to look into in this cold case, mm-hmm. and that's how it was solved, it 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 just shows you the impact that people have in yeah. true crime. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like that is, that's pretty intense. That's pretty crazy. But anyways, that was the murder of Mandy Stavik. That's horrible. It just sucks that, like I said in the beginning, I mean, she was just going for a run. She's 19 years old. She was so young and it messed up. Also, I think I'm upset that he might get out at 69 years old. Like, and that he's still he saying he's out? innocent. He killed someone. He Not only did he kill someone, he lied about it. And he's still claiming that he didn't kill anyone. But they're like, okay, let's let him out. And not only did he, like, kill someone. He's changed. He's a change. He's changed. He abducted a 19-year-old girl and then left her naked body to be discovered in that way. Do you know how traumatic that is and just dehumanizing and disgusting that is? So let's take this day to remember Mandy, think of her family, and remember that her mother suffered a lot. Yeah. Her mother suffered a lot. Her family suffered a lot. And although I'm, I'm, you know, pleased to see that this case was solved, 
And in such an intriguing way, um, Mandy was still a real person and it doesn't, there's no justice here. Yeah. There, it, it still hurts. So let's just take a day to think about her and we will see you guys next time with another episode. I love it. And I hate it. Goodbye. Goodbye.